Hey, y'all. This happened last year. Jason introduced me, and I was like, car crying in the back, and I'm like, no, I gotta go talk in front of everybody. It's good to be with you guys tonight. Um, I came to UTC as a student uh, in 2017, so I'm as old as her, and um, this place was home to me very quickly, and it has been the most impactful form of the church in my life, and um, I was involved all four years, and then um, came on staff as a pastoral resident um, in 2021, and I came on another year because they couldn't get rid of me, and this is my last semester here. Um, so I'm going to try not to cry, um, but anyways, um, I don't know why you're here tonight, and I don't even know why the Lord has brought you here, but I trust that it's for really, really good news. Um, before I continue, uh, J.D. and her beloved self shared something with me this past summer. We were just talking about how much we love this work, and she shared a passage out of 2 Corinthians where Paul says basically that he would gladly spend all that he has and all that he is on his people. And that felt so specific to how um, me and her feel about you guys and how the staff here um, feels about you guys. Sorry, I'm not trying to hold back tears right now. Um, we really care about y'all, and we really care about seeing you grow up and to mature into Christ-likeness. Um, it's been one of the great joys of my life. Um, so I wanted to say that at the beginning, because I might not be able to later. Um, Tonight, we will be talking about an encounter that a paralytic man had with Jesus and how this man was given new life. And my hope tonight is that you might believe that that might be possible for you as well. Um, so let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are, for who you say that we are. Thank you that we don't have to guess what you think about us. Thank you for making all of my friends in here so beautifully, so uniquely. And I pray that tonight we would say yes to you and your way of life that you are inviting us into. So I pray, amen. amen. Does anybody know what Jesus came talking most about whenever he was preaching? You're allowed to answer if you know. I can't see any of you. Does anybody know what he talked most about? No. Read your Bibles, everyone. Read, read your Bibles. Just kidding. Well, I mean, you should read your Bible, but whatever. Um, Jesus, first and foremost, came talking about a kingdom. It's called the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and the gospel accounts. And throughout the gospel of Mark, we see, this is annoying me. This thing is like, keep wobbling. There we go. There we go. Thank you, Lord. Um, in the gospel of Mark, we see what kind of a kingdom that Jesus uh, came preaching about. A kingdom of healing, kingdom of cleansing, kingdom of forgiveness, a kingdom of radical generosity and love, and a kingdom of all good news. 
At the end of chapter 1, we see Jesus cleanse a man with leprosy. And Jesus, weirdly enough, told him not to tell anyone what had happened. Um, But surprisingly enough, the man tells everyone that he could because sometimes when good news is so good, it feels almost impossible to keep it to yourself. And that's where we find ourselves in the story tonight. I want everyone to close their eyes for me. Close your eyes. I want you to imagine that you are lying on a mat and you had been for years. How are you feeling? You and your friends hear about a man who was healed from leprosy by a man named Jesus. A couple of your friends don't really believe it, but a couple of your other friends believe that maybe you could be healed by this man too. After some bickering, the four of them pick you up on your mat and eagerly walk to the house where Jesus is. You turn a corner and you get discouraged by the amount of people that are gathered around the house. So many people that you can't even see Jesus or hear him. Your friends start to talk and bicker about what to do next. And your most determined friend, most of you might have a friend in mind, sees an outside staircase that leads to the roof of the house. The five of you start pushing your way through the crowds and you start getting closer and closer and you can start hearing Jesus more and more. You make it to the roof and there is no opening in the roof that you can fit in because you're laid out on a stretcher or something like six feet by three feet or something like that. Your friends look at each other and think the same thing without saying a word. As you lay there, the four men start ripping off the roof tiles one by one and start kicking this muddy kind of stuff to make this hole bigger. And as they're kicking, they can't hear Jesus speaking anymore, but they see him through the hole in the roof. Jesus doesn't say anything, but as they lower you through the roof, Jesus doesn't look at you. He keeps looking at your friends, and he is amazed and astounded how your friends did whatever they could to get you to Jesus. And as you look up at him, hoping that he would heal your paralysis, he looks down at you and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And you start to hear murmurs in the crowds, like whispers and gasps. And you see some scribes who look visibly taken aback and angry. And Jesus turns to them and says, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier To say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Immediately when he says this, you feel life riddle through your spine and your legs for the first time in decades. You and your friends are just crying with excitement, and you pick up your bed, and you walk out and through the crowds. Four of you walked there and five of you walked home. And everyone around is giving glory to God. That's our story for this evening. And I want you to notice two things about this story. First, the authority of Jesus. And secondly, the power of friendship. 
The whole first half in the Gospel of Mark is all about the identity and authority of Jesus as this this long-awaited Messiah, ushering in a new kind of kingdom. And throughout the first eight chapters of Mark, we see Jesus exercise his authority by casting out demons, healing the sick, proclaiming to be Lord of the Sabbath, like we read a couple weeks ago. uh, Not healing water, walking on water, and multiplying bread and fish, showing his authority over nature. And tonight, we see him demonstrate and exercise his authority to forgive sins. Forgiveness is and has always been central in the message of Jesus and his people. Some of you might not even know what forgiveness is. So here is a working definition from a theology professor out of uh, Western Seminary, I think. Um, He says, forgiveness is the personal act to release the one who sinned against me from my personal rights to collect on the moral debt or pay him or her back for her offense. I'll say it again. Forgiveness is the personal act to release the one who sinned against me from my personal right to collect on the moral debt or to pay him or her back for her offense. Forgiveness is the releasing of debt someone has owed you. Forgiveness is not, maybe you need to hear this, just forgetting and moving on. Just forgive and forget, as we say here. And it's not just assuming that whatever someone sinned against you is now no longer a sin. It is looking in the face of what it is and choosing to not have this person pay the debt that they owe you. Forgiveness is so central to Jesus that one writer says forgiveness is the oxygen of the kingdom of God. That is the thing so vital that we needed to breathe in the kingdom. So essential that Jesus even wants forgiveness for the Roman soldiers as they nail his hands and feet to the cross. Jesus proclaims just one page earlier in our story that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. It's in our midst now. And he is the king of this kingdom and the way of Jesus in his kingdom is forgiveness. The scribes who were uh, master... Some of you don't even know who scribes are. I probably should explain that. Explain that. Uh, scribes were like uh, the religious elite. They were like the masters of Hebrew law. And they were sprinkled through the crowd and concerned about Jesus declaring that a man's sins were forgiven. Because in the Bible, God and God alone forgive sins. And Jesus saying he can forgive sins is him claim, declaring that he can do what only God can do. He's claiming to be God. It's not, so it's not surprising. It's not surprising that the scribes reacted the way they did because they didn't believe Jesus was God. To the religious leaders of the day, Jesus held no authority. They held the authority. He was just a no-name carpenter from a no-name city not called Nazareth. Imagine someone walking through these doors tonight from a city that you don't even know and says, hey, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> That might be freaking weird. And some of you might be really uncomfortable by that. Some of you might even laugh at them for how stupid that sounds. Some of you might even get really mad and pissed off. Sorry, I don't know if I can say pissed in the sermon. Um, uh, welcome to the house, everyone. Um, <laughs> I miss Gabby laughing there in the back. Oh. Um, But Jesus, being fully God, he knew what these men were thinking and he posed the question to them. He says, which is easier? To tell a man that his sins are forgiven or to tell him to rise, take up his bed, and walk? And I ask this question to you tonight as well. Which do you think is easier? For your sins to be forgiven or for a man who can't walk to walk again? 
for Jesus to prove he has authority to forgive sins that only God has the authority to do, he heals this man's paralysis. He tells the man to rise, take up his bed, and go home. And this visible healing, and this physical healing of this man's paralysis, he begs the viewer to think, if, if now he has the authority to do things that are invisible and spiritual, like to forgive sins. Now, he doesn't only heal this man's paralysis just to prove a point. That's not the way Jesus is. He doesn't just use him as a ploy for his own gain. He has and has always been about the healing of people because that is what him and his kingdom are about. Please hear me say that. And one day we look forward to when his kingdom that he came talking about will come in its fullness where there will be no more pain or sorrow or death. Pretty cool. Notice also that Jesus does not say, I forgive your sins. He says, your sins are forgiven. There's a slight difference there that I didn't really notice before, but there's this like... uh, there's a reality that he is, which he's speaking, a, a, a fact. Um, that the reality of what he's saying is true. He also doesn't want, he also doesn't say that all sins on earth are forgiven. He's being specific about someone who has been brought to him by faith. Maybe the one thing you need to hear tonight is this. Please, if you're taking notes, take this note down. If you are in Christ, your sins are forgiven. Period. Amen. Um, If you are in Christ, your sins are forgiven. There is no earning forgiveness by doing good things for God or trying really, really hard to sin less or by saying you're, you're really sorry this time. The reality of his kingdom is that all who are in him are forgiven. If you have never been told that before, or if someone in a position like me has told you that you need that you can uh, outsin God's forgiveness, that is not true. That is not in the Bible. That is not true. And I pray that in the name of Jesus you are forgiven. And I and I and I say it in the name of Jesus because He is the one who has the authority to forgive your sins, and He says that He will, and that He does, and that they are. In Him, one psalmist writes, "Your sins are as cast as far as the east is from the west." Come on, Paul. <laughs> Paul, he didn't write the Psalms. It was David. I swear I read the Bible. I swear. <laughs> Idiot. Now, shifting gears to friendship. Um, some of you are like, thank God. Friendship, thank you. Forgiveness is so intense. Um, don't worry, I'm an intense person. I'll make this intense too. Um, <laughs> If you don't know this, I want you to know this as well. That friendship is and has always ever been a gift. It's a gift. And one of the best parts about friendship is that friends carry one another's burdens. My, uh, one of my best friends and his wife, they are um, missionaries in England. And they have a little girl named Naomi. And um, Naomi... <laughs> And they just recently um, had a miscarriage. And it was so hard to not be able to sit with them physically in their living room and cry with them and to grieve with them. But they know for a shadow of a doubt that they don't have to carry that weight by themselves. Me and our other friends in our little friend group 
we are wanting, we desire to carry that burden with them because that's what friends do. They carry each other's burdens. Even when Jesus was going into the hardest night anyone in the, in the world and history has ever gone through, whenever he was about to go, he asked three of his friends to join him and to pray with him and to be with him. You either know this implicitly or explicitly, but it is a lot easier to carry your friend's burdens than it is for them to carry it by themselves. And it's a lot easier for your friend to carry your burden than it is for you to carry it alone. Think about, um, y'all are in college, so most of you have been through breakups to some some level. Um, Imagine how much easier it is to deal with a breakup with your friends and the, the, the loss of a loved one with your friends than it is for any of you to carry that by themselves. Or think about something even simpler. Think about when you go to your friend's house, how much easier it is to do your friend's dishes than it is to do yours. You see the pile of dishes in their house, they're like... I'm going to do their dishes. You see the pile in your house, you're like, my roommate will do that for me. Because he's a good friend. Friendship looks like people together, shoulder to shoulder, carrying each other's burdens. Reading about this man's friends in the passage is like, was probably one of like the loveliest things that I've ever read. Seeing these four men literally carrying their friend fighting for him by bumping through crowds and tearing a hole in some stranger's roof and not stopping until he got to Jesus. Now that is friendship. Can't see any of you, so that's friendship. Notice how Jesus does not call their their feelings or theological thoughts faith. He calls them bringing their friend to him faith. Faith is active and it's real and it's not theoretical and you're in your head by just knowing a lot of Bible trivia. James actually calls that dead faith. Thanks, James. Um, Like having faith looks like bringing your friends to Jesus. And one of the most powerful ways to bring your friends to Jesus is through prayer. And some of you may think that's lame or not really helpful because you've kind of grown up in a culture where it says to pray for each other and prayer is powerful and stuff. But there's no one that I trust more with my friends than Jesus. So pray that Jesus, who is Lord over all things, will help your friend in the ways in which they need it and believe it for them, even if they don't believe it. That's what friendship is. This thing is wobbling still. Oh, my God. Um... I have witnessed some very beautiful examples of friendship in this place recently. Um, Most of you know Mia Burrell and Caroline Hood. I think they're over here somewhere. Uh, They're sophomores. I had the chance to be like their freshman leader last year, and they're very dear to me. And their friendship is so inspiring to me. I see Caroline right there. Uh, Don't cry, please. Um, I asked Caroline if I could share this. Um, But Caroline has had a really hard first semester of her sophomore year. Sophomore slump is really tough. And if you're a freshman, hopefully you don't experience it. But I experienced it, and it's very real. Um, But Jesus is overall things, so there you go. Um, And I would talk to Caroline this last semester, and she just didn't really seem like herself. She seemed kind of down just riddled with anxiety and discomfort and not really knowing what's for her or if she has a place here anymore. And I would talk to Mia and hearing her desire for her friend to be well was so fierce. It was beautiful. 
We both tried to get Caroline to come on the spiritual formation trip to Austin. And um, after months uh, of trying to convince her, uh, Mia anonymously covered her, her uh, Caroline's cost to go. So she was going to get to go for free. And after praying with Mia for Caroline, she finally decided to come. And it was beautiful to see the Holy Spirit meet her in the ways in which she needed it. Um, it was really cool to watch. Um, all that happened because Mia decided that she wouldn't give up on her friend. That she was willing to fight for her tooth and nail um, until the end. And um, it was pretty great. And... Caroline talking about Mia, about what kind of friend Mia is, is almost as beautiful, if not, if not as, it's, it's as beautiful. I don't want to, I don't want to rate, want to rate it. Um, but the way Caroline would talk about Mia with such dignity and, and love and honor, it was like, what am I doing with my friends? I asked them like, how their two-year-old's doing, but not how, like, they're following Jesus. It was crazy. It was crazy. Y'all inspired me, for sure, this past semester. Um, Caroline told me that she doesn't deserve me as a friend, and she's right. But Caroline also does, or Mia does not deserve Caroline as a friend either. None of you deserve your friends. Friends have always been unearned gifts. If your friends feel like um, you have this demanding, kind of putting demands on the friendship, then that's not friendship. It's always a gift. Please hear me when I say this. Bring your friends to Jesus in prayer, on a stretcher, to a mission trip to Philly. You should come to Philly. On a spiritual formation trip to Austin. Any way you can, bring them to Jesus. I pray that God blesses you with an abundance of friends that would carry your burdens alongside you. And if you don't, I'm praying for you in that way. Um, Friendship is one of the best things we have in this life. And if you don't know, Jesus, who all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to, calls you friend. Some of you have never heard that before. But Jesus, who fought for you at the cost of his very life, who fights for you still and promises to be with you until the end, calls you friend. Maybe that's what you need to hear. If you went to Austin, you've already heard this uh, quote. Um, I'm going to read it again because it's rad. Um, in the Voyage of the Dawn Shredder, one of the Chronicles of Narnia books, uh, go C.S. Lewis, um, Eustace, a character, was deceived and he was forced to live covered in this dragon skin, which is like supposed to symbolize kind of like sin covering us and um, as he tries to tear away the skin and the scales off of himself they just grow right back he tries to do it himself over and over again and it wasn't working and finally Aslan who is supposed to represent the person of Jesus comes into the scene and um, he comes to heal him because he's the only one who has the authority to do so so I'm going to read from there feel free to close your eyes and imagine this happening I'm going to try not to cry. Um, Then the lion said, You will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. 
And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just a pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there I was, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on. He threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my body. And then I saw why. I had turned into a boy again. Friends, Jesus has the authority to forgive your sins, and, he's, and he says yes to that. He does. Now, some of you may be sitting here thinking, like, I, I want that. I want this kind of freedom and life that forgiveness can bring uh, in, my, in, my, in my life that Jesus is, is offering to me. But it can't happen for me. It can happen for other people in my life, my family, my friends, my roommates. But it's not possible for me. I've done too much. I've gone too far. I've said I'm sorry too many times and gone back to the same thing. And Jesus responds to you gently, but with authority, the way Aslan responds to Eustace. With something like, it is possible, but you have to let me undress you. We're going to spend a moment in silence reflecting on whatever the Spirit is... um, Kind of stirring up in you. It could be reflecting on it if, if you even believe your sins can be forgiven. Or even if you think you need forgiveness. Maybe some of you don't even think you need it. Spoiler alert, you do. We are all desperate for it and hopeless without it. It could be that you feel like you're covered in dragon skins and that you're trying so hard to do it yourself and you need to let Jesus do it. Or maybe you need to reflect on the idea of Jesus being your friend. Or friends bringing each other to Jesus and carrying one another's burdens. Whatever the Spirit is kind of prompting in you, please do not ignore it. So we're going to spend a moment reflecting on that, and then I'm going to pray for us.